Before we came here to be a part of the journey two years ago, on staff, my, my family and I, we had actually planted a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We planted it in January of 2011, and not too long after that, one of the church planning organizations that helped fund us, that gave us support, that helped us get going, uh, they were having a retreat for church planters and their staff. And so myself and one of the guys who helped us plant our church in Chapel Hill, we got in the car, we drove up from here to Charlottesville area because that's where the retreat was. We had a great time. It was fun. It was kind of neat. Uh, and here's kind of a neat part of this whole story. That same organization that helped our church get started in Chapel Hill is actually the same organization that helped this church get started back in the mid-70s. And so they're an important part of our missions budget and what we give because of church planning that goes on. And so we're grateful for that connection. But as we were leaving that, uh, that retreat on that Wednesday afternoon, it's pouring down rain, and we're leaving, coming out of Charlottesville on, on 64. And, and as we're driving, it's raining pretty hard. Traffic is pretty, pretty heavy. All of a sudden, we start to see red lights, the taillights in front of us. Well, the guy that's with me, he's a few years older than me. He started pulling the mom thing. He was like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's putting his arm out to stop me. I'm like, dude, one, you don't do that in your passenger side, right? Passengers can't do that. And secondly, you're not my mom, so stop. I see what's happening. So I start to hit my brakes, and about the time I hit my brakes in front of us, a few cars in front of us, this red car starts to spin out of control and slams into the guardrails on the side of Interstate 64. A lot of other people, of course, passed by. We were about five cars behind them, and so we pulled off to the side, pulled in front of them to check to, to make sure they were okay. We got to the car, she opened the door, and the young lady was fine, scared, of course, uh, no cuts, bruises, nothing of that sort at that particular time and then we asked her like hey what happened she said well I was driving along and all of a sudden I started to hydroplane and as I hydroplane I got to this point where my car stopped but the 18 wheeler behind me couldn't stop Pow plowed right into me and knocked me around into the guardrail now thankfully she was okay the the trucker stopped and he came to check as he was shaken up as you can imagine and he was okay but as we sat there and as we waited for the emergency personnel to show up I sat up against the guardrail there and I looked behind me, and I was like, oh my goodness, this could have been so much worse. Because as I looked where I was, and then about two or three feet beyond that, there was this cliff, probably about 20 or 30 feet deep, with just this, this forest of trees. And I'm thinking, if that guardrail had not been there, she would have flown off that edge into that forest of trees, more than likely hurt herself very, very badly, or worse yet, died. It was one of those moments where you understood what guardrails are there to do. Today we began the brand new series called Guardrails. And uh, as you think about guardrails, as you see them in this picture here, I mean, we know what guardrails are, right? They're, they're like this really strong fence that protect us from injuring ourselves worse than, than could happen. And we see these on roads. We see these on interstates. They're in the medians. But it's kind of funny because unless you scootered here or you walked here or you came over from Thomas Road over across the street, you probably didn't notice all the guardrails you passed to get here this morning, right? Because you're not thinking about that. Because guardrails are an invisible part of our driving experience. We don't really think about guardrails until we need them. And then when we need them, we're glad that they're there. Because what guardrails do is they protect us from what lies beyond. Because here's something that's interesting about guardrails. Even if you look at this picture here. Well, actually, this isn't a good picture because that's a bridge. But anyway, um, if you think about guardrails in most places, and you think about where they're situated, 
Do you know where they're constructed? They're constructed on the safe part of the road. Like if we were to go and we were to pick up the guardrail and to move it, we could still drive right there. We could walk right there. They're on the safe part of the road, but their job is to protect us from what lies beyond, those two to five feet beyond that. And so a guardrail's job is to do just that. It's there to protect you and I, to protect us from hurting ourselves, to protect us from from hurting others, to keep us out of those dangerous areas on the road. As we think about guardrails specifically, then the question is, what's the connection with you and I and guardrails? Well, let's think about this in our own personal lives. Do you have regrets? I mean, as you look at your life, as you see where you are now, and as you look at the past, are there things in your life, are there decisions that you and I have made that we look at and we say, oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. That I wish I had relational guardrails then. I wish I had guardrails within my marriage, within my work, within my finances, with who I am physically. See, I'm pretty sure every single one of us in this room would say, man, I wish I had guardrails back then because I wouldn't be in the place I am right now if those had been constructed back at that time. I'm pretty sure every single one of us in this room would love to have those guardrails in place. Here's the deal. Culture doesn't give us guardrails. Culture gives us painted lines, right? And and painted lines are just kind of suggestions. They're they're sort of warnings. But what do we know about guardrails and painted lines? Guardrails will stop us. Painted lines, we can go over and cross over anytime we want. And so culture says, hey, here's a painted line. It's probably not a good idea to cross it, but you know what? It's your life. Do exactly whatever you want to do. Let me give you a couple of examples here. One is drink responsibly. It's not a bad idea, right? Drink responsibly. But yet that's not a guardrail. All that is is a painted line. Because I'm pretty sure every single one of us would say, yep, drinking responsibly is a good idea. But here's the question. When you're at that moment when you're trying to decide, am I drinking responsibly or irresponsibly, you don't care, do you? At that point, you don't care. You're like, honey, I think we're drinking irresponsibly, but I don't care. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. Again, not a bad idea, but it's not a guardrail. Or let's think about teenagers and sex. We tell teenagers, wait until you are ready. Wait until you're ready. Teenage girls tend to be a little bit more mature than teenage boys. And so they hear that, and I'm hoping since I have two teenage girls right now, that they understand there's way more than that. But if they hear that, that like, hey, all right, I'm going to make good decisions when it comes to myself and and sex. You know, you go to a teenage boy, and you're like, hey, wait until you're ready. They're like, I was born ready. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Again, it's not a bad idea, but it's not a guardrail. It's just a painted line. These are culture's attempts at guardrails. And yet all they say is, hey, here's a little painted line. Don't cross it. You cross it, it could be some bad stuff beyond it, but it's there. And yet for many of us, we decide to cross those painted lines. And when we do, here's what culture does. Culture laughs at us. Culture makes fun of us. Or worse yet, culture just says, oh, you shouldn't have done that. And they just kind of leave us in our pain and our hurt to deal with on our own. You need to figure it out. And culture just moves to someone else and paints some more yellow lines. 
Culture says, if you want to go through life, here's what you do. Paint yellow lines and don't cross them. But if you do, that's your decision. I think when it comes to God, God's like, no, 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 no painted lines. That all of us need to construct guardrails in our life. Because if we don't, what we'll find is that as we go through life, we're going to be full of regrets. This morning, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that I believe is so powerful because I think it talks to us about what this looks like for you and I to put up guardrails in our life. Not to have painted lines, but to put up guardrails. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. If you don't have Bible, there are Bibles there in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those and use it, keep it, take it home, give it to somebody who needs one. Uh, Also, you can follow along on your Journey Church app and take notes there. Uh, you can take notes on your program today. But before we, we get to Ephesians 5.15, let me, let me talk a little bit about Ephesians. Um, and a lot of times we say, hey, the book of Ephesians, it's not the, a book. It was actually a letter that was written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a pastor. He was a church planter, planted, planted churches all over uh, the Middle East and, and to Asia Minor. And uh, this particular letter, a lot of times we say, hey, this was written to this church in Ephesus. It was, but it wasn't. Um, This was actually a circular letter, which meant Paul wrote this letter, sent it to one of his churches, and like, hey, read this to your church and then send it to the next church. And so they would just pass this letter around to all these different churches. And, of course, some of them would get them and they'd write them down. They'd keep the transcript of it. So part of the reason we have this one and we think it's to the Ephesians specifically was because this is where this, this letter came from or came out of. Someone had copied it down for uh, the Ephesian church. But it was, it was actually a letter that was probably written for more than just one church, which is great because as you read through this letter, what you find is it's all about how you live your life. Paul is saying, hey, this is what's important. Here are the things that you should do as a follower of Christ in your church and and in your life, and here are the things that you should not do. This is the life you should not live. And the whole idea for Paul is I want to encourage you because times are hard and times are tough. Let me encourage you in this. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 15, we read these words. Here's what it says. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. If you scoot back up into five and to four, what you're going to find is that prior to these words, Paul just he describes and talks about these list of things that you really should stay away from. He's like, if you're a follower of Christ, here's the things that you should not do. Uh, you shouldn't be greedy. You shouldn't be angry. You shouldn't go to bad, bed angry. You shouldn't fight. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't gossip. He's like, here are all these things you really should stay away from, and then here's some things you should do in your life as a follower of Jesus, because it's important how you live your life. But in fact, if we go back to those first few words, he says, be very careful then how you live. That word live in the Greek is actually the word walk. And so he says, be very careful how you walk. Watch your step. You ever been to a cookout? Somebody's got a really, really small yard. And they got a really, really, really big dog. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. Watch your step. Watch your walk. Watch your life. Watch your walk when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your friendships, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to every aspect of who you are. Watch your walk. Be wise and not unwise. Keep your eye on these principles and let them guide your life. And Paul says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most out of every opportunity. That last little bit there, again, better translated is redeeming your time. Make sure that you are redeeming your time in healthy ways. 
that we know that time is our most important asset. In fact, in our last series, our work series, uh, we talked about balance. We, we said that we spend 60% of our waking hours at work, which means there's another 40%, which are probably the most important waking hours of our life, and we don't spend those very wisely. And Paul's like, spend your time wisely. Redeem your time. Our time's limited. We don't know how much time we have, but it's, it's limited. And if it's limited, that means we need to be wise with our time and not unwise like many people like to do. So Paul is reminding those that are reading this and even us today, redeem our time well, be wise with it, and be careful in the walk that we have. And he continues on. Be careful then how you live, not as, wise, but as, uh, not as unwise but as wise, making the most out of every opportunity because the days are evil. Paul is writing this letter about 2,000 years ago, and he's writing to this group of people, and he's like, hey, these are dangerous times. These are really, really dangerous times. Now, as a pastor, I have these conversations with people within the church and mostly outside of the church, especially when they find out what I do. And, uh, and they talk, start talking about me like, oh, these are the worst times. These are such dangerous times. The end times are here. Can I just say this? Don't get mad at me. Um, some of you who've had this conversation with me. Um, there's always been dangerous times. Since the beginning of time, time has been dangerous. And honestly, I'll just be honest with you a moment. I truly believe right here in this time period is way more dangerous than what you and I face on a day-to-day basis. I mean, think about what's happening historically. Think what's happened with these followers of Christ and the persecution that's taken place. I take our day over this any time. But the point is this. Please understand that all of life and all of time has been dangerous. And Paul's like, look, if you do not live the way that you're supposed to live, if you're crossing painted lines over and over and over again in your life, evil's going to come. You're going to get hurt. You're going to hurt someone else. There are going to be regrets in your life. And so he, he reminds the readers here and the listeners of these words, your decisions, they have ramifications. You might roll your car. You might find yourself in a ditch because you're going to pay a price for not being wise. And then Paul writes this, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is is Paul's like, stop deceiving yourselves. He's like, you know. He said, what you've allowed to happen, if you allowed these painted lines there, but you need to construct guardrails, you know. You know the decisions that you make, they have outcomes to them. You know what's on the other side of that financially. You know. So don't make that choice. You know what will happen to your marriage if you go there. You know what will happen to your friendship if you say that. You know what will happen at work if you make that decision. He's like, you know, you understand this. I'm just reiterating this to you. Don't make these decisions in your life. Be wise and not unwise. I mean, stop acting like you don't know. And so begin to set up these guardrails. And then Paul gives us an example of what he's talking about here. Here's what he says in verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine. Do not get drunk on wine. Let's talk a little bit about this topic because I think in the church it's one of those topics that's um, not talked about a whole lot. And some of you right now are like, yeah, we're going to talk about drinking. Yeah, give it to them. And others are like, oh, I had a rough night last night. Uh, 
probably going to have to go use the bathroom for a few minutes. But here's the deal. In biblical times, water, or excuse me, wine was a lot more safer to drink than water. Think about this for a moment. Where's this water coming from? More than likely it's coming from some spring or it's coming from a well deep down in the ground. And you'd have to get the water to these places. Then you have to store the water. And think about what you would store water in or how it would get there. So they didn't know a whole lot about bacteria. See, wine could get you drunk, but water could get you dead. All right? Wine was a staple to their meals. And listen to me, it wasn't watered down, okay? A lot of people are like, oh, it was really watered down wine. No, it wasn't. It was wine like we drink today, but it was a part and staple of who they were, and part of it was just for health reasons. But, but as we look through Scripture and, and as we, we look through what Paul is writing here, they never say drinking alcohol is a sin, okay? They never say that. Now, for you and I, it may be considered a sin based on our experiences growing up. Um, my, uh, my dad's a pastor. I've said that before. I grew up in, in the church from the time I, I was born. But before he became a pastor, he struggled with alcohol a whole lot. Uh, his dad was an alcoholic, and so he saw this in his family all the time. Um, he grew up very poor, and I think alcohol was a way to just kind of escape, as it is for many people, just kind of escape life. And so I think my dad's told me from the time he was about 11, 12 years old, he started drinking. That was just kind of the, the norm. Um, but he would tell us these stories. He had two cars that he really loved that he had worked hard and he paid for for himself. But he got drunk. He was driving. Thankfully, no one else was in the cars with him. Uh, but he crashed these cars, totally just totaled them, flipped them, tore them to pieces. They were done. And he said both times he woke up outside the car, not sure how he'd gotten to that place. Teeth all messed up and mangled. And, and again, this is God at work in a crazy way. But um, you know, that was it. Some busted out teeth was all my dad got from, from making poor decisions as a kid. And so in our home, there was no alcohol. And so in our home, alcohol was a sin. If you drank alcohol, that was a sin. So as a kid, when we would go out to eat at restaurants, and there'd be a table that'd order a beer or a glass of wine, I'm sitting there going like, oh my gosh, those people are going to go to hell. I can't believe they're drinking. Now, thankfully, my attitudes have, of alcohol and drinking have changed dramatically from those, those moments. But, um, but how you grew up and the things that you saw or you experienced, or even in adult life, really began to change how we view certain things like, like alcohol. But Paul's not saying drinking is a sin or not. Here's what he's saying. He's saying drunkenness is. He says drunkenness is. The point is if you're drinking, there needs to be a guardrail in place, but for so many people, it's just a painted line. But then here's how he continues on. He says, drunkenness will lead to something else. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Paul's like, here is your guardrail. Do not get drunk on wine. But if we just have painted lines, what do we do? We kind of cross over those painted lines. We, we see how far we can go. Now, now, if we think about this for a moment, debauchery just means we've, we've just lost control, right? We, we have no self-control, excessive indulgence in, in pleasure, this lack or loss of, of self-control. And some of us in this room are like, <laughs> I've been debauched before. Yes, I've been to that place, and I know what that, that is like. Here's Paul's point. Don't be mastered by something. Don't be mastered by someone else. Don't lose control. Think about this for a moment. How many of our lives in this room would be different if our moms and dads had guardrails for themselves growing up? 
if they had been sober. How many of our parents' lives or grandparents' lives would be different if they had this guardrail in place? How many of us, as we look at our life, how many of us would be different if this guardrail was in place for us? See, Paul says, here is your guardrail. This is not a painted line. He says, if you do this, this is the place that you will get to. See, drunk is a guardrail. And yet for many people, it's a goal, right? That's the place I'm going to get to. That's the place I want to be. And we can think about that, and it may bring a little bit of a chuckle. We may think it's kind of funny, but the reality is when that goes too far and a woman gets punched, a kid gets harmed, a car careens across the middle line and hits another car and kills somebody, at that moment, because no guardrail is in place, something has come from that. There's an outcome, regret that many times we carry with us for the rest of our life. It's there and that pain and that hurt. And you know what we say after the fact? Not that, I, hey, I wish there was a, a thicker painted line there. No. We're like, man, I wish I had constructed a force, a guardrail that would have kept me from doing exactly what I did. Those regrets are there. Culture says, paint a line. Paul says, construct a guardrail. Now, two things here. One, I'm not making fun of alcoholism. I'm not making fun of drinking at all. Okay, please understand that. Uh, the second thing I, I would say here is that when, when it comes to something like this, um, it could be anything. Yours may be alcohol, it may be drugs. It could be anything in your life. The point is, Paul, I think, is saying here, don't have painted lines. Make sure that you construct guardrails. Then he continues on here. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody in here has a conscience, right? Okay, well, most of us in this room have a conscience of, of some sort. Hopefully you got something there. Um, it helps us make decisions. Now, culture says, hey, here's, here's a painted line. And our conscience says, if, if we're not a follower of Christ, our conscience says, I can kind of cross that painted line whenever I want to. I can go back and forth. Sometimes I'm going to go a little bit farther. and Sometimes I'm not going to cross that line just because of, of where I am. But, but there's painted lines that culture puts. And, and so we cross them. And our conscience kind of says, hey, maybe not a bad idea or not a good idea, but you make the decision you want to make. We find in the New Testament, when we become a follower of Christ, we get this gift. It's called the Holy Spirit. And when you become a follower of Christ and you get this gift, it really begins to be your conscience. It begins to be the thing that helps you decide um, what's right and, and what's wrong. But the, the Holy Spirit's kind of this, this weird thing, okay? It's kind of this, this crazy thing. And I don't know how yours works, but um, for me, my conscience or my Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit God's given me, like, it, 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 doesn't, um, it doesn't yell at me. Right? It doesn't scream at me. Um, it, it doesn't knock me down. It doesn't throat punch me. Yours is probably like mine. My Holy Spirit, when I'm getting ready to kind of cross the lines, like, hey, or, or maybe a little, hey, Chad, what do you think about that? Uh, mine's more of like my mom growing up. Like you make a decision, you're getting ready to, and you get the throat clearing thing. Like, <clears throat> don't do that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? <clears throat> don't go in there. I promise you, you don't want to go in there. 
<clears throat> don't, don't, don't make that decision. See, we still get to make a choice. We still get to make that decision however we want to go. But, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is there to guide us. And, and Paul's saying that. He's like, look, let God's Spirit guide you. Let God's Spirit lead you. Because if you do that, it'll set these guardrails in place for you to protect you. But again, too many times we have these, these painted lines. Paul's like, let the Spirit set those guardrails. And when that happens, you'll have this wisdom that'll be flowing. And here's the beauty of this. Like he finishes up this little section here. You're going to be filled with the Spirit, and you're going to be able to celebrate life. You're going to be able to look at life and celebrate what's happening because you've made those wise decisions, because you're not dealing with those regrets. Why? Because those guardrails are in place. This whole section here for Paul, it's like, look, there are painted lines but you need to construct guardrails. You, you need to put something up to protect you. As I think about what Paul wrote here, uh, I like to think about it this way. After uh, about four dec- decades of, of life, I have finally figured out what the most stressful thing in life is, okay? It's not trying to find a job. It's not trying to figure out how we're going to retire. It's not trying to figure out how we're going to pay bills. It's not trying to figure out how to make your marriage better. It's teaching your teenage daughter how to drive. <laughs> Can I get some amens in here? Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. So uh, my daughter, Savannah, started, uh, we started to teach her to drive a couple of months ago. And uh, as we're doing this, the very first day, I, I take her out. And, um, and we're just driving in our neighborhood to kind of get her acclimated to, to my vehicle. And as we're driving, I'm telling her all these things she's got to do. And she's like, Dad man, I didn't know there were so many things you had to do and think about when you're driving. I'm not Catholic, but I think I said like three Hail Marys right there at that moment. So I was like, whew. I was holding on, holding on real tight. But, um, but as she and I were talking and as we've continued to drive, I, I keep telling her this one thing. There's one lesson I, I want you to know, honey. Here, here's the deal. Um, be aware of what you're doing. But I said, that's not the most important thing. What I need you to do really is be aware of everybody else. I'm like, you have to learn to be a defensive driver. I said, I don't want you to be an offensive driver. I don't want you to be the person who's weaving in and out of cars because, you know, you just got your license and you think you can do all this stuff. I don't want you to be the person who's going 40 miles over the speed limit. I don't want you to be that individual. I don't want you to be the car in the, in the four-cylinder foreign car that's got the cherry bombs on the back that you're revving it up just to hear the bam all over the place. We don't have that car, and you're not going to get that car if that ever was the case. But I don't want you to be that kid. I don't want you to be that person. So I want you to be a defensive driver. I want you to always be aware of everything else that's happened around you. I want you to be aware of that person who is darting in and out of vehicles, of cars. I, I want you to be aware at stop signs and stop lights. Here's the deal. You got about point point zero 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 one percent opportunity of time to hit gas in that moment here in this area. It's okay if people beep their horn at you because I'd rather have you safe than dead, right? So at a stop sign or a stoplight, you stop and you check everything else out. Don't worry about the person behind you who's beeping their horn. But I did say, hey, when you come to a four-way stop here in Northern Virginia, nobody knows how to do it. You're on your own. <laughs> Figure it out. I think that should be like a three-month course for people here in, in this area. But anyway, we, we stop at four-way stops. And she's like, Dad, I think they're supposed to go first. I'm like, yes, let them go. Just, just wait. It'll, it'll happen. Um, this teaching experience for her is, hey, I want you to pay attention to yourself. But more importantly, I want you to pay attention to others. I want you to be a defensive driver and hear the things that you should look for in that. 
without guardrails, our best times can turn into our worst times. Our best times can lead to our worst hurts. Our best times can lead us into painful relationships. Our best times can lead us into those danger zones that don't just affect us for a moment, but could affect us for a lifetime. It may not just affect you and I. It may affect other people around us. I mean, how many of us plan on wrecking our marriage, wrecking our friendships, wrecking our finances, wrecking our bodies? I mean, I don't know too many people who walk around saying, hey, I'm going to wreck every aspect of my life. But, but here's the problem. We don't plan not to. We just look at painted lines. I'm like, hey, this is good enough. And Paul and God are like, put these guardrails in place. And if we can do that, we can begin to walk wisely. And so we're not defensive drivers. We're living defensively, always aware of our surroundings and where we are and the decisions that we're making because that Holy Spirit is nudging us and moving us and talking to us. And don't do that all the time. And only when we get to that place, only when those guardrails are in place, can we get to a place of just celebrating and being happy and, and enjoying where we are. Now, We've made decisions that we regret, right? And we carry those with us right now. But we can begin to set up guardrails for our future. And we can begin, can begin to do that now because painted lines will only bring regrets. And when we have regrets, we're going to look back and say, I wish in high school I had guardrails. I wish in my first marriage I had guardrails. I wish with my kids I had had guardrails. I wish in my finances I had guardrails. We all need them. Every single one of us. Which leads us to think about two questions, I think, as we head into this series. And I think these are important questions because over the next few weeks, we're going to look at specific guardrails that we need in place and what that looks like for each one of us. But here's the first question we need to answer. Do you have painted lines or do you have guardrails in your life? Do you have painted lines or guardrails in your life? If you've just got painted lines, the question is why? Why is that all we have? What is it about us that we are trying to protect? What is it that we do not want to deal with in our life? What what debauchery do we enjoy that we're just like, ah, paint a line is fine because I like crossing it every once in a while. So in your life, do you have painted lines or do you have guardrails? Because more than likely if we have painted lines, there's something in our life that is ruling over each one of us. But here's the second question. If we have painted lines, what guardrails do we need to construct today? What's your starting point? Where are the areas in your life that you are flirting with disaster? Where are you driving too close to danger? Where are those painted lines? And what guardrails do you and I need to begin to construct in our life to protect us from the danger zone? Some of us in this series, our lives will be changed. We'll get to this place of where we'll look at our life like, man, I have got a painted line and I've got to build a guardrail right now. And then others of us are going to always flirt with that disaster. But here's what we know. When we do that, we fail. And when we fail, we cross that line. And when we cross that line, the cliff's right over the edge. And then we live a life full of regrets. If you're like me, I don't want to live a life full of regrets. And you know what? I have regrets in my life. There are things I wish I had guardrails for, and I didn't. And and even today, I still feel that pressure. And and I'm sure you do too. You carry that burden with you. But we can start 
anew today and was like, God, help me construct the guardrails for my life to protect me, to protect others, to keep me from the danger zone. I hope you'll join us over the next five weeks as we go through this series. Because again, we're going to talk about relationships and friendships and uh, finances and who we are sexually. I mean, all these different things. So I hope you'll be a part of this over the next five weeks because this is a truly and really a powerful, powerful series. And you and I can get away from those painted lines and put those guardrails in place.